Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Lord, with that theme during those two Sundays. In chapter 4, we're going to read just the first two verses, but hold it open there because I want to make reference to several other verses in this chapter. He says this, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Let us pause for just a moment of prayer. Lord God, we are small in number, but we're great in spirit because we all love you. We confess our love and our faith. We pray, Lord, that you would make us stronger in your word. Help us to grow, not only as individuals, but as a church, that we could proclaim the word of truth from from this church building. It might be alive and real in all of our lives as your children. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Look, if you will, through this chapter for the word rest. I'm going to tell you where they are. I want you to, if you will, to to look at it. We read here in the first verse, entering into his rest. You go down to verse 3. It begins, For we which have believed do enter into rest. Also in verse 3, just a couple of lines further down, if they shall enter into my rest. In verse 4, we find God did rest the seventh day from all his works. In verse 5, again the question, if they shall enter into my rest. And then verse 8, Jesus had given them rest. And verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. In verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest. Verse 11, again, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. I read all of those out of complete context but for the purpose of pointing out to you that there is an emphasis in this fourth chapter upon the word rest. We read the same word back in the latter portion of the third chapter. And I think we could go even further and find some other references to rest in, in this, this chapter, or in this book, I should say. Well, why is he using the word rest and what does it mean? And this is the thing that we will deal with this evening. But we've got, in order to get it, to put it into uh, context, we've got to go back and remember that the writer to Hebrews is making reference to the Old Testament Jewish people and their relationship to God. We commented this morning that the Hebrew people had been in Egypt for 400 years as slaves, and they wanted out. 
They wanted out desperately, and they prayed to get out, and God led them out. And God took them out into the wilderness, and there they did not have to stay for 40 years, but they did stay for 40 years. God took them to the edge of the promised land, and they couldn't get in because they lacked faith. They lacked belief in God. They could not, in a matter of weeks, really, achieve the task of getting into the promised land. They had to go back out into the desert and wander for, for 40 years. But at so many steps along the way, and the scripture that we read this morning made reference to the fact there were ten times that the Hebrew people really made God upset, made him angry. And he said on one occasion that he was angry with them. They kept on complaining and grumbling. They would not take him at his word. Follow what he said. And I find in my own life, and I'm sure that you will find it in your life, that we're not very strong when it comes to our faith. We only want to take God at his word if we can have a say-so in it. If we can put ourselves into the picture and call the shots. If God will do things our way, we'll believe. But if God chooses to do something different than what we want, we elect not to believe. And this is what the Hebrew people were doing. So they got out to the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them. And all of a sudden they lost faith and they said to Moses, let's go back to Egypt. It's a whole lot better for us to surrender now, raise our hands, let the Egyptians take us back and put us back into bondage. We can't cross that Red Sea, we're going to drown. Well, they went across it because God opened it up. And they went across on dry land. What they were doing was refusing to trust God. They found this time and time again throughout their history. When it came time for them to eat and they had no food. When they needed water to drink. When it was too hot, God put a cloud over them. At night time to give them light, he put a light in the sky. He took care of them every step along the way. And every time they came up against an obstacle, they began to grumble and complain and said to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that we could have been buried there? Why did you have to bring all of us out here, three million of us, out into the desert and kill us all? By starving us to death. By causing us to die from thirst. By causing us to die from the heat. And on and on they grumbled. They lost their faith every time. The reason they did... They kept looking back to the way things used to be. It's strange how things of yesteryear seem so much better than they really were when we were there. The good old days weren't too good during the time that we were in them. The good old days become better as we get older. And we look back and think about some of the things that took place. Uh, and, and we talk about them being, being so good, and they began to look backward into their, their life and think, we didn't have it really so bad in Egypt after all. It was a lot better to be a slave than it was to starve to death. It was better to be a slave than to die of thirst. Better to be a slave than to burn up from the scorching sun in the desert. Better to be a slave than to drown in the depths of the, of the, the sea. So they looked back. And this is the problem that many Christian people have when they have made that step 
from their old life to their new life, and there's somebody here, I, not here tonight, that I wanted to talk to on this point desperately. It's not here. And it bugs me that I can't uh, get my point across to one individual that I really wanted to talk to tonight on this subject because we've had many conversations on it. And that is of trying to hold on to the old and add on the new. We can't hold on to the old and just add something on top of it. God is not in the reconstruction business. He doesn't redesign us. He makes us totally new. When he saved us, we were a new creature, not a, not a made-over creature. But most of us don't believe that. But we all, and probably at some time or other, live our lives that way. That is, we want to go back and hold on to the old way of living alongside and incorporated with and mingled with the new way. We want to add the old life and the new life together and somehow come up with a marvelous individual. We want to live with the old friends and still make new friends. We want to live outside the church and inside the church. We want to live without prayer and we want to live with prayer. We want to be godly and we want to be ungodly. We want to do all of these things and mingle them together. And there is no mingling of God with Satan. There is none. But we try to do it. Sometimes in life a person must break with his old way of life, with his friends, with whatever, and start out anew. And these people were not willing to do it. So they got to the crucial points in life, and when things got rough, they began to think it's a whole lot better had we stayed with the old way of living. Because they look around and they see people who are not Christian, have a large bank account, and all the fine things of life, and they're not concerned, they're happy, so to speak. All of those things. When problems arise, the Hebrew people could not see around the problem, and therefore had no faith. When we cannot see around our problems is the time we really need faith. If we don't know what tomorrow will bring, it means we need to trust God to take care of tomorrow. If we are capable on our own of handling our problems, then perhaps we don't need God. But all of us sin and fall short. Therefore, we must have God. All right. They forfeited their right to enter the promised land because they wouldn't believe and trust in God. Every time an obstacle came along, they wanted to go back home. That is, go back to Egypt, where they had been for 400 years, the very place they prayed to get out of. And God said, be careful that some of you don't come short of entering into my rest. Now what did he mean by rest? 
Well, let's, let's get into the word rest a little bit. One of the meanings of rest is to cease from work. Stop what you're doing and do nothing. It's like when I was in high school and on the football team and the coach ran us laps around the field. I'm telling you, after a while, I began to look out of the side of my eye to see when he was getting ready to pick up the whistle to blow up to say that was enough because I was prepared to stop. As soon as he said stop, I was about to die in my tracks. I wanted rest. And when the whistle was blown, I was going to have rest. It means to cease doing what you're doing and, and not do it now. But when it comes to spiritual things, the word rest in this terminology means quit trying to please God by doing things. God accepts you as you are. You don't have to prove yourself to God. Live your life in the joy of being in the presence of God. As Mary and Martha, one of the women continually was cleaning the house and baking and taking care of the meals and doing all the things while the other one sat at the feet of Jesus. She was uh, engaging her life in things that were more important than taking care of the house. And Jesus pointed this out to her. It means that we have reached a state whereby we know that we do not earn our salvation by labor. I really feel sorry for people who think they must earn salvation. They'll work themselves to death to get it. And never get it. Because salvation cannot be earned. Salvation is a gift. And the whistle blows and we can stop and sit down and enjoy what God gave us. Now that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to work. That's a whole different subject. But it means that we are not to continue in our own methods and manners of achieving something. God has given it to us. All right, another thought on the term rest, which would mean freedom from worry and disturbances. Most of us are very easily upset. Some of us are more easily upset than others. And do you know what you're doing when you get upset or when I get upset? All we are doing is creating a disturbance within ourselves, and then we disturb everybody around us. I cannot be disturbed without disturbing you. You can't be disturbed without disturbing me. I don't want to be disturbed. Quit disturbing me. And how are you going to do that? Don't be disturbed yourself. That's how. I don't want that kind of problem. None of us do. Entering into God's rest means that we have inside of us a peace, a calmness, a quietness that we can take whatever is thrown at us and it's not going to be disturbing to us. We're not going to worry about it. Worry is a sin. Worry, somebody has said, worry is the worst sin a Christian ever commits. I didn't say a person ever commits, a Christian ever commits. Worry is the worst sin a Christian can commit. Why? Because it means we really don't trust God. 
If we trusted God, we wouldn't have to worry. And what worse thing can we do than say to God, I'm sorry God, I can't trust you. I'm going to have to worry about it. I'm going to have to handle it myself. Entering into rest also means freedom from guilt. There are lots of people who, although they're Christian, feel so guilty for the life that they once lived that they cannot forgive themselves. And they go around carrying this guilt all the time. Listen, if you ask God to forgive you, a minute, he did it. And he's already forgotten about it. Why are you and I worrying about it? Why are we carrying around the guilt of the sin that we committed last week, last year, last month, somewhere back in our life? One of the problems that we have is that we also do not let other people forget that they ought to feel guilty. Because we remember what they did, and we think they ought to carry that guilt around. Some of that is going on in this church. There are some people in this church are saying to other people in this church, you ought to feel guilty for the way you live. Back when? Yes, it's happening because I hear it. Shame on this church for saying to other people in this church, you ought to be guilty. God forgave their sin. Why can't we forgive their sin? I don't care what that sin is. We are new creatures in Christ and we ought to be accepted as new creatures in Christ. When Jesus Christ washed my sins away, they were gone. They went down the drain. Totally unidentifiable anymore. I can't find them. He said that he would take my sins and hide them behind his back. And he would remember them no more. Listen, that's one of the greatest promises in all the scripture. God forgets our sin. Wilma, when you came down the aisle one morning and asked God to forgive your sins and save your soul, at that point in time, any sin you committed from that point backward was erased from the record and God doesn't even know you committed them. I think that's a tremendous blessing that God gives us. Why can't we accept it? That way. I simply point you out because it was such a dramatic thing that day. See you do it. Many others have done the same. Let's go on. The inner into rest means to be settled, to be secure. No more shifting around. No more frustration with what should I believe, where should I go, what should I do, for we are established. This world is in a state of unrest continually. Unfortunately, the church is in a state of unrest. Why? Because church members don't know what they believe and why they're here. I think it's time we learn something about ourselves and become established in Christ so that we no longer have to run from church to church or lifestyle to lifestyle or try this doctrine and that doctrine because we're settled. We know what we believe and why we believe it. And when all these fads come along, we don't jump on the bandwagon and run with them. 
When some mighty preacher comes to town that is a great drawing card, we don't go flocking to him or her. Because we know what we believe, our ideas are settled. We're well-rooted, we're well-grounded, we're unmovable. That's what it means to enter into God's rest. There's lots of people who are very movable. They'll move at the drop of a hat. There are members of our church right today who are considering going somewhere else. There's members of other churches, or at least attend other churches, which is fine. There's nothing wrong in doing that. What I'm saying is when a person finds himself necessary to be in that state of mind and heart, he is not well-founded and settled. Something is missing. And he needs to find it, and it may very well be need to be found in another church. That's fine. But let's get ourselves as Christian people with deep roots. And hold on to something. And quit being fickle and uh, fashionable and faddish in going wherever things might seem to be moving a little, little better than we think they ought to move. Fourthly, rest means confident. The scripture says, Paul speaking, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I feel sorry for the people who don't believe in eternal salvation. They're living a life of not being able to enjoy what they believe because they're not sure they've got it. Listen, I know I'm saved. And I know the scripture tells me that when I have committed myself to Jesus Christ, he's able to do something, and that ability of his is to keep me. That gives me peace, that gives me rest. I don't have to go around trying to prove that I'm saved because I know I'm saved. Because you see, salvation is something God does, not what man does. Then let me say that rest means something to lean on. You know, like a shovel handle. We got a lot of pictures of that. Well, it means the ability to lean on God. To depend on God for everything. It means that we no longer have to go searching for something that is solid and secure because we have found it. This world is in a state of searching for something solid. You go to our schools and you'll find schools full of kids that are willing to join anything because they don't have something secure to hold on to, something solid. The church must present itself as something solid. And we do that by saying it is God who is our fortress. It's God who is the head of this church. It is Christ who, of whom we are a part. And there's solid dependence there. Israel didn't get into the promised land. But it's only two people out of all those three million that came out of Egypt ever got into the promised land. Why? Because they didn't believe. They lived in a state of unrest until they died. Forty years of wandering, and they dropped to the wayside. Their bodies 
are buried out there in the desert. Someday those bodies will resurrect, but they're still there. And they died in unrest. They never had security, only because they refused to accept it. In the very first phrase of the, fourth, of the first verse of this fourth chapter, he says to fear God. Now that sounds like a strange phrase for a person to be afraid of God, and yet that's exactly what it means. Let us therefore fear. Be afraid. Matthew 10.28 says, do not fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Who's he talking about? Well, that's the Lord God, Jesus Christ our Savior. Do not be afraid of the person who can kill your body, but that's all he can do. But you'd better be afraid of the person who can take both your body and soul and cast it into hell. And he said, you'd better be afraid because some of you are going to come up short. That's what he says there in that first verse. Some of you are going to come up short. Three million minus two came up short. And it came to getting into the promised land. Because they couldn't go. Because they didn't believe God. Better be afraid. God wanted them to enter the promised land. He wanted them to. God wants to give us a good life. Really, the only reason that we don't have a good life is that we don't believe him. We don't trust him completely. Let a problem come along. Let us face our Red Seas. Let us face our heat in the desert or our lack of food or our lack of, uh, of water or face the giants that are there in the promised land and we start knuckling under and saying, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And we start wringing our hands and moaning and groaning and, and worrying and fussing and fuming. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, why did the Lord bring all this on me? Oh, why, 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 why? And we can ask those questions all the time. Listen, if we had faith enough in God to take him at his word, we wouldn't have to ask those words why. Because it would make no difference to us why God is doing what he's doing. If we are in the will of God, we can say to the Lord, do whatever you wish, whatever you will, Don't make, it makes no difference to me. If you want me to fight giants, I'll go out with David with my slingshot and fight that giant. It makes no difference to me as long as I'm in your will. If you want me to face death, I'll face death. It makes no difference. Why should we worry about dying? We really ought to be looking forward to that because it's a transition from uh, a state of, of earth where everything is imperfect to a state in heaven where everything is perfect. And the reason we worry about it and, and fuss about it is probably because our lives are not fully and completely in the will of God. I'm not preaching to you anymore and I'm preaching to myself because I see myself the same way. 
The closer we live to the Lord Jesus Christ, the less concern and worry about this world's affairs we will have. What does he require then to conclude in the second verse? He says, for unto us was the gospel preached. Unto us, that is the people who were alive at the time that this book was being written, unto those people was the gospel preached, unto us is the gospel preached, as it was unto them, that is the Hebrew people in the wilderness, the gospel was preached to them, the gospel was preached to the Jewish people in the days of this writing, the gospel is preached to us. Then he goes on to say, but the word preached did not profit them. I understand this fully, I think. I know from 35 years of standing behind the pulpit that most of the things that I say from the pulpit mean nothing to anybody. Or very few people. This is just the facts of life. There are a few things in once in a while that you will, will gather that really uh, mean something to you. Uh, but for the most part, words preached are words forgotten. We don't remember very much what we have heard very long. And I could go back and preach sermons over to you uh, and, and realize that probably nobody in the congregation would remember because we are human and forget. I did that one time. Uh, a whole year went by and I preached the same sermon over and one guy said, I remember when you preached that and gave me the date. Well, that blew that theory all to pieces that I thought I had. But for the most part, we forget very, very quickly. It means nothing to hear unless, now here comes the point, unless something happens. And the unless is, unless what we hear is mixed with what? Faith. See it there? Unless what we hear is mixed with faith, and then it makes an impact upon us. Then only. Until one exercises his faith and puts it into and mixes it with what he has heard, it won't mean much. But let me tell you, if you listen with faith in mind, you're going to get something from it. It's going to have an impact. Mixed with faith. So much of us, much of our time is spent in not mixing things with faith. And that, that's an that's a interesting concept, and sometime I want to go further with that, mixing things with faith. Because sometimes we think we just have some little pocket over here of faith that really has nothing to do with anything else. But what, what the scripture is saying is, we've got to put the faith we have in God into all of our life into our daily activities, into our affairs. When we put our faith into and mix it with the way we live and what we do and what we say, then it's going to have an impact on us. When we read God's Word and have faith in what it says, it'll have an impact. When we hear it preached, it'll have an impact if we mix it with faith. But if it's not mixed with faith, it's soon forgotten. People have dull ears. Nobody remembers. Well, this is not an evangelistic message this evening. It wasn't intended to be. But we go back to the, the thing of this morning in the seventh verse, which we also find in the seventh verse of the fourth chapter, the seventh verse of the, of the third chapter, 
And he uses the word today, if you will hear my voice today, uh, an, an indication of urgency. If there is anything in this world that we need to emphasize, and that is there is an urgent need for people to be saved, an urgent need, because soon the time is going to be gone. The Lord Jesus will have called us home, or he will have come for his church, and the day will be past. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.